0: and welcome to yet another edition of the Forza Italian Football Fancast. I'm your host, Conal Shaw, and as always, I've brought three wonderful guys along with me. You'll be delighted to know that they are three regulars, and the first one tonight is a man in demand. He's back once more. It's Enzo Miseraca.
1: Hello, Conal. Uh, It's great to be asked back, so thank you very much for that, Uh, and I'm looking forward to having a little chat with the guys.
0: It's a pleasure. It's great to have you back on
1: again. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: And another voice that we've got back on is Vito Doria as well.
2: Thanks for letting me come on again. I'm sure we're going to have some uh, good stuff to talk about, as well as a few negatives. Plenty of
0: negatives. Whenever Sam Doria is involved, Vito.
2: Regardless if it's good or bad, it's always something to talk about.
0: (laughs) And we've also got Liam Stewart back once more. And like Vito, Liam, you've just been watching AC Milan Napoli, haven't you?
3: Yeah, um, it wasn't the most... uh Entertaining game, actually, to be honest. But, um, yeah, it's been a great weekend of uh, Serie A action.
0: Hasn't it? But let's, let's get to this game first, actually, the one that you watched. Despite it perhaps not being the most entertaining, tell us a little bit about it. Obviously, the score lines ended one apiece.
3: Well, to be honest, I, I was quite disappointed in Napoli, really, and specifically Maurizio Sarri, because you could tell from very early on, Milan were pretty much just interested in getting a draw and uh I felt, especially going into the wars into the second half, he could have changed things a bit earlier. He brought on Mertens, eventually brought on Gavidini El Cadori Cudor- uh, at the end, but I just thought he continued with their four-three-three formation, and I just don't think they needed it. I thought they could have matched Milan and gone four-four-two, just to give, because Higuain, he looks so isolated. He had, I think, two chances in the match, and they were kind of, Poor, really. They were, you know, he's fed fed scraps essentially. And also, I I don't know. Nakhle looked a bit tired. Maybe the Villarreal fixture had an effect on them. I was going to hope-
1: say Liam. Liam, can I just butt in quickly? Because I didn't yeah. watch the game, so it'd be nice to uh, to get your opinion on this and maybe Vito too. What what's changed? I mean, you said that um, he sadly should have maybe gone maybe gone four four two. but obviously four three three has got them to where they are sort of within touching position of, of winning the league uh, they're only you know uh, only just behind Juventus so what why do you think they need to change tactics when the tactics that they've played all season have served them so well what what looks like is missing from the napoli from a couple of guys you know since before they lost to juventus when they were flying what do you think's changed Do you think it's just tiredness or something else i think it's
3: it's it's probably a um, kind of a bit of both i think you know it's probably is a bit of the tiredness because sorry he doesn't rotate a lot and but I, i just think that milan was so kind of compact that they just needed a bit more kind of uh movement up front to kind of split the uh to move the centre backs apart essentially and create space up front for Higuain. Um so I just think putting Gabidini up front with Higuain could have done that possibly. And also I think they were quite slow in possession. You know, there wasn't that usual kind of um pace to their play and that was possibly the tiredness aspect coming
2: into the game. That's why I think uh, Napoli were struggling. I reckon the fatigue is starting to set in now. Higuain, in particular, looks like he's really tiring out. And as touched upon earlier, uh, the Milan defence was really quite compact, and pretty organised as well. So Napoli didn't get the space that they were used to. But I just saw the way they would move the ball around, the ball circulation. They weren't as quick as they usually were. So... I wouldn't really blame the formation but even if they switched formation, let's say Sarri went for a 4 2 like you suggested Liam uh, the way that would have worked in my opinion is say Kayohan and Insigne were the wingers and Gabyadini came on earlier and he would play up front with Higuain. Higuain would draw all the attention away and since Gabyadini hasn't been in outstanding form um, you would assume that Higuain would take those defenders and possibly give Gabiadini more space. So that w- would have been one suggestion, but I reckon Napoli have been playing for such a high tempo for the majority of the season, and eventually it's going to wear out this uh, regular 11 that Sadi has been using.
0: Now, it's an interesting point that you raise about the tactics used by Sadi, because this is the third time that he's fallen to yet another squad using the four-four-two formation. Although, I do think perhaps. Surely the the 4-3-3 would have worked better had Insigne been on top of his game. He just seemed really lackluster to me. The one player that wasn't putting in a shift, despite his goal.
3: To be honest, I didn't think Insigne was any worse than any other Napoli player on the pitch. To be honest, I thought you know he was kind of he was always uh, doubled up on. Didn't really get a lot of space. And I think you do have to give credit to Milan. You know, we're we're complaining a lot about how Napoli played here. But Milan were very, very strong defensively. And they've been like that for a long, long time now. And I think even though I know, Enzo, you're not kind of the the biggest fan of Mihailovic. He's, you know, he's proving to me that he can actually, you know, that he may be the right option for
2: Milan. I wouldn't uh, single out Insigne myself. He didn't have the best game and the goal did take a deflection but uh, to be honest out of that front three I reckon Higuain was the weak link uh, tonight or this morning in my case. So uh, When I looked at the chances that Napoli had Insigne and Cajon had more shooting opportunities than Higuain. Higuain wasn't able to shrug off his markers or create space for himself. As for Milan I do think that Mahalovic has done a reasonable job, but not fantastic job with Milan. But I still admire that he's given some of the youth more, more of a chance, and we still see Gianluigi in goal still. So even at his age, he can still hold a regular spot.
0: Christian Zapata, one of those heroes in defence that you really wouldn't have expected either.
3: No, he was he was really good actually. I was I was very so impressed with him. And you, there was actually a moment in the in the second half where um he shielded the ball out as, you know, every centre-back does and Higuain was right uh, behind him and Higuain clearly got very frustrated with him and he kind of kicked out and possibly, you know, he's a bit lucky not to, you know, not to be sent off really because I, it was a cut, you know, it was a bit petty, but referees, the letter of the law, he should have been sent off. So yeah, you could see that Higuain was really, really frustrated tonight and he, you know, it's been, maybe he's just suffering a bit of a dip, like just, from fatigue or whatever. Well, even
0: without Higuain against Villarreal in the Europa League, people just putting down to his absence that they didn't play well. And now with this game, we're perhaps seeing, as you say, signs of fatigue. And is this a worry for them? Are they slipping up when they would have hoped Juventus would have been ones to do so?
3: I think they they need a win soon because three results on the bounce, you know, they haven't really had a run like this before earlier this season, you know. So, and I think... It it probably is fatigue really because the biggest problem that I have kind of with Sarri is that I don't think he really knows how to use his squad that well. He doesn't rotate a lot, and it, it, that's part of it. they've been so good this season because they've they've been able to build connections between the players and stuff like that. But he also needs to. I think he hasn't really learned so far how to manage his squad properly, and I think that towards the end of the season could potentially become quite problematic especially as Allegri his experience in doing that you know he's he's he got to the Champions League final and won Serie A last season so yeah i think he's sarri's got to maybe just kind of up his game in that department really
0: do you think they have the depth to do this rotation though they certainly have a lot of players in attack
3: um i think so i think you know they've got mertens they've got Gabiadini who i think have been I- Bit underused really by Sarri this season, considering their talent really. So, I, I do think they've got depth. I, I think, obviously, if they get a few injuries, it could become problematic for them. But so far, they've been quite lucky, and I don't see why you know they don't seem to have kind of a systemic problem with like muscle injuries or anything like that. So, unless they get quite unlucky, then I think they should be fine injury wise for the rest of the season.
1: I think, chaps, credit where credit's due for Napoli because I know we're talking about squad depth. But when you compare them to uh, to Juventus, their squad is nowhere near as deep. I mean, you look at the the options Juventus have in attack, and and for Napoli, we're talking about the likes of Gabbiadini and, and Mertens, who are, you know, would probably struggle to be anywhere near the Juventus uh, front line. Um, I think you know a little bit of credit for, for for Napoli to being as close as they are to Juventus, given that the squad, and even the coach himself, is is quite inexperienced. I mean, as great as Sarri is you know before now you know his his his, his cv doesn't look exactly uh, what you might call illustrious having uh, saved empoli but that's about the the, the the as good as it gets when you look at allegri who did well at Cagliari, you know obviously won the the league with uh, with milan done the same with juventus got to a champions league final with juventus so i don't know we we I guess we may be almost expecting too much of Napoli now that they've got this far. And that, uh, you know, given the squad they've got, I guess a blip was always on the cards. I, I think the, the, the main thing is is how they manage this blip, as Liam said, whether Sarri's got the the ability to... Juggle that squad and still get results, which that that is the key now. Really, it's no good for them to to you know rest players but end up drawing or potentially maybe losing another game because then they'll just fall away. So it's an important next say two or three games for Napoli. But still, I think regardless, they've they've made a, a, a season of it because you know the last three or four campaigns Juventus have run away with it. So a little bit of credit for Surrey and let's not let's not. Get on their back just yet,
0: Wenzel. How would you handle their situation right now? They both they're in the lottery in both the Europa League and in the Scudetto itself. The race for the Scudetto, so close to Juventus. Would you just put all your hopes on that, or would you go for both? I, take I, the I'll risk? tell you
1: what. If it was me, I would certainly go for both and take the risk. But when I, what I mean by that is, I you know I'd certainly play my best team in in every game that comes now because the risk is. If you prioritise one, you, you've literally just then shoved all your eggs in that basket. And if the basket tips over, then you'll end up with you know a bit more than just egg on your face. You'll have nothing. And and what I, I fear that they did, because he did a bit of rotation, did he not, in the away game to Villarreal. Obviously, they've come away with a 1-0 loss, which isn't great. It means now they've got to take more of a risk in the home leg. Um, so, personally, I would play my best 11 at every game. And if they pick up an injury, well, so be it. I mean, players can get injured in, in warm-ups. Players can get injured in training. They don't only get... To be honest, I think players get less injured during a match than they do during training and, and, and other areas of uh, of their football uh, week. So, if it was me, if it was Sarri, I would go balls out every single game, and let's see what happens. And then there's no recriminations, because if they take it easy in the Europa League, fall out of that... And then they end up finishing second to Juventus. Okay, the season ain't bad, but they've come home with nothing again. And they might not get a good chance again next season, especially if the likes of what we've said. AC Milan start to uh, become a force again. We're seeing Roma, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, start to turn that corner. You expect them to be stronger next season. Inter, who knows, should be there or thereabouts. Fiorentina, they're a a bit of an unknown quantity, but they're up there as well. So... Again, like I say, if I was Sarri, I'd go every game as if it's a cup final.
2: I would go with that approach too. If I was in Sarri's position, I would go for both competitions. I think they've got the squad quality, if not the squad depth. But even if Napoli don't win the Serie A this season, finishing second would still be fantastic for them, especially after the spell Benitez had there because I reckon Benitez set the team back. Sarri has implemented his style. He's done a much better job than what Benitez had done in two seasons. So whatever happens, even if they don't win, it would be good. But Europe, I reckon they can still do very well. My concern would be is that Sari has never given Gabbyadini enough faith. And this morning, Gabbyadini only played 10 minutes For me, he's got to get at least 25 or 30 minutes to really settle into the rhythm of the game and see how he can impact on the game. You can use him on the wings, you can use him as a centre forward, and he's great at dead ball, so even if he wins free kicks, he's usually a threat. A final touching
0: point on Napoli is that we have said this before in this season. Do you think Gabbiadini actually fits into Sally's system? Perhaps the reason why he's not used so much other than the fact that Higuain's been in such amazing
1: form. I think he doesn't fit at all, unfortunately, Connell. because I don't don't think he rates him as a centre-forward. I don't think he feels there's enough goals in Gabbiadini the way that Higuain gets goals. And I'm not saying he's got to match Higuain because obviously that's not going to happen, but I don't think he trusts that he'll still get Maybe 12, 15 goals a season. I don't think he's got that in him. And then playing out wide, Vito's right. He can play out wide, but I think when you've got Mertens, Insigne, and Kadijahan, uh, I mean, you know, Gabbiadini would be the fourth choice, in, you know, behind those three as a, as a wide player. So I've I got a feeling that he will only use him if he feels he absolutely has no choice. And it's a shame because he had a great start. At Sampdoria. Uh, and he looked like he was becoming a good player especially for the Italian national team he looked like he could be useful but I think he's stagnated and gone backwards since his uh, arrival at, in Naples uh, and it's a shame and I think he's just not going to fit in that system that Sarri's working with at the moment
0: Well, on the other hand, being in fourth place, a fourth choice, isn't so bad. If you look at someone like Simone Zaza, Vito, you tipped him a few weeks ago when you were on. And I did eventually apologise for that because you were right. But he didn't do too well against Bologna because Juventus drew 0-0. That will leave Napoli slightly happy. It'll give them at least something to smile about. But what exact tactical masterclass went on from Donadoni to stop Juve?
2: Donadoni is a very conservative coach from what I've noticed. He might have played under Arrigo Sacchi, but he's not someone that implements the Sacchi philosophy. He comes across as a very old school type of coach, but he gets the best out of the players out of his disposal, and that's what he's done with uh, Bologna. Naturally, uh, you don't expect Donadoni to go out all guns blazing against the big guys, but from a tactical perspective, he stopped that Juve team from, you know, testing Antonio Mirante, And uh, really, Bologna closed up shop and the only real chance of the game fell to Bologna when uh, Mattia Destro had that long-range shot in the 20th minute and then Buffon managed to save it. Well guys, that's Juventus, Napoli,
0: Fiorentina and Roma now all stumped by Bologna. And Vito, you are just talking about Donadoni there. Is he the most underrated coach in Italy?
2: At the moment, yes. I still have a bit of dislike towards Donadoni mostly on the basis of Euro 2008 and how he got that job in the first place because he knew Dimitrio Albertini in the federation and they were teammates at AC Milan. It wasn't on any great merit that Donadoni got that job, but based on what he's done with Parma in the last few seasons and now this season with Bologna, I think he's finally gained some experience and he's really... Improved uh, his interpretation of the game or his understanding of players as well. So he knows how to get the best out of players out of his disposal. You get coaches who want to spend lots of money on players and all that, but Don Adoni seems to put up with the budget he's got to work with. And he's made Bologna competitive against big teams. So even if it's playing defensive or what, or they got to grind that results. He's making the most of whatever he has, and he deserves credit for that.
0: And Liam, he's, he's been saying for quite a while now that he'd like to coach a big team. Do you prefer to see him stay at Bologna, or do you think he deserves that jump? Do you think he should make that jump?
3: I think if he's given the opportunity, then I think, you know, why shouldn't he make that jump? I think he's proved himself at Parma, and he's proving himself at, now at Bologna. And actually, I was kind of surprised in the summer when Milan didn't actually go for him. And they went for Mihailovic instead, even though I don't, I don't actually think Mihailovic is that bad, but I thought, you know, three years at Palmer where he's had, you know, consistent success, obviously apart from last season, but those were completely, the circumstances of that, you know, were extremely harsh. So I think, you know, if he, if he gets, given the opportunity. I think he should take the leap. I think he's deserved it.
0: You know, he could have moved to Basel in the summer as well to replace Paulo Souza. I think it broke down because he couldn't speak German. Yeah,
2: I heard that too, but I reckon he's got AC Milan in his heart. He played for them for over a decade. I'm sure that he still aspires to coach AC Milan, but for the time being I reckon Mahalovic should stay at Milan and also the AC Milan board, they should just keep the faith in Mahalovic. But, if Donadoni can produce more consistent results with the Felsenay, maybe Boulosconi and Galliani have to have a serious look at Donadoni because, you know, he's not necessarily working with stars, although Destro has a name to him and even Giaccarini's experience, but even so, there are young players and journeymen that Donadoni has had to work with.
3: Alright, and Enzo, what
0: about Juventus in this fixture, in this 0-0 draw, this this result doesn't deal too much damage to their title aspirations, does it? Is it just resting themselves ahead of the Bayern Munich game?
1: Well, you kind of wonder whether they had one eye on that match. And given that Bologna, as you've said, have already tripped up some of the other big boys, I don't suppose a nil-nil is that bad a result, especially now given that Napoli failed to capitalise at home to uh, to AC Milan this evening. So I don't think Allegri will be that that fussed. I mean, they've won 15 straight matches before that, so he can't complain that the team hasn't done well. Uh, and to to sort of, you know, just just get a draw away from home, I don't think he'll be too despondent. I certainly don't think it's uh, it's an issue. I don't think he'll be worried about it. They're still top of the league, albeit by a point. Um, and they've got, obviously, a very important fixture this week, which um, I'm sure they're all concentrating on. So it'll be interesting to see how they... Now, they kind of approach that game against Bayern Munich.
0: Obviously, Bologna did just stop them shy of beating Inter's record of 17 straight victories. Obviously, Juventus stopped on 15. But uh, we will be talking about it next week. But I just want to know you guys' opinions before this game. Do you see them picking back up the win against Bayern? Is this a team they can do it against at home in Turin? Even Alvaro Morata said that Juve will welcome Bayern with hell.
1: I think the best thing that's happened to Juventus was Guardiola announcing that he was going to join Man City. I mean, you can see the effect. You
0: think he's got another eye
1: on... Well, I think the the, the problem is, I mean, you can see that there was a banner in the in the in one of the mm. Bayern games where the fans have said, well, Pep was never one of us anyway, which I think is is absolutely outrageous. But things are not as rosy as I guess they were maybe six months ago in Munich and that can only help Juventus so I think this is as best I mean norm under normal circumstances I as harsh as it sounds would say that Juventus would struggle to get past by Munich but given the 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 recent events and and the way that the Juventus have been playing and 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 the kind of the little I will not say a wobble but there's obviously some sort of doubt in in people's minds in Germany um, what, what direction the club is now going for the last few months of the season this really is uh, the best chance they'll ever get to knock out one of the big boys and uh, and progress in the Champions League it's just a shame I think that the, the first leg is in Italy and, and they've got to go to Germany to finish the job off but they'll never get a better chance than this
3: I think you also have to consider that um, Bayern Munich are missing their three best defenders in Jerome Boateng Javi Martinez and Bad super they're all going to be out, um, for at least the first leg. I'm not actually sure about the second leg, but, um, that's a major blow. Uh, so I think they'll be playing a, possibly a back three of kind of Philip Lahm, uh, Joshua Kimmich, who I think is a, is a central midfielder, 21 year old central midfielder, and David Alaba, which of course, you know, by, by me, they'll probably dominate possession, but that's, you know, I definitely think that Juventus can really get that defense, especially considering that they've got Pretty much everyone fit, apart from uh, Giorgio Chiellini,
2: essentially. I reckon this situation can play into Juve's hands. Kimmich is a defensive mid, so that's uh, you know not good for Bayern Munich if they have to rely on a defensive mid to play as a centre-back. And also Bad and Boateng, they're out with long-term injuries, so that's inconvenient for them. As Enzo mentioned, the Guardiola situation could tip things in the Juve's favour. So uh, Juve, they should back themselves and believe themselves and hopefully they don't sit back and just play on the counter. I would like it if they could just apply a lot of pressure on Bayern Munich and try and attack them and it would also be clinical. If there's one weak link with uh, Juve, and I don't think it's scrutinised often enough, it's Alvaro Morata. He was good last season. He had a top partnership with Carlos Tevez, but this season he has really looked out of form. Whether it's his decision-making, his dribbling or his shooting, he has really looked like he's been declining or he's had second-year blues. So I really hope there. don't lose this game on the basis that someone like Morata gets the full 90 minutes and Zaza only gets 5 or 10 minutes. Because that will get to show that Allegri threw the game away because he was too reluctant to make changes earlier. I think
3: Allegri, after the Bologna game, said that Mandzukic would at least be on the bench. So, I mean, maybe they'd give him a chance.
0: Mm. Well, certainly with Mandzukic playing, they've got the extra height, which is what you'd say Bayern lack in defence as well, especially with Kimmich and Alaba.
3: Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, if he if he is fit, then why not, you know, try it? Because that, that him and Dybala, especially before Mandzukic got injured, they had a very um, very
2: fruitful partnership. No, if if Mandzukic is fit enough, well, I can't see him playing the full 19 minutes because he's been out for a few weeks, but he would still be a much more viable option than Morata anyway. It's just a matter, depending on... Who's on the wings if it's uh, Quadrado or Evera? If they give him the right crosses, he'll definitely pose some sort of a threat to Kimmich.
0: We've we'll just wrapped up. We've got Juve's first leg still to come up, but one of the Italian teams that has already played their first leg is, of course, Roma at home to Real Madrid at the Stadio Olimpico. <sighs> well, what's there to say about this, guys? We surely would have expected more determination from Roma in front of their own fans, and they just seemed to crumble when it really mattered.
3: I actually thought they were they were... Pretty decent for much of the match. And I thought they were kind of class from Ronaldo that kind of put them behind. And then, you know, then Madrid kind of got on top of them. But even, even, you know, in the last kind of 20 minutes, it was just the final kind of ball or the final touch that let them down. Uh, I thought I thought they were, you know, it was kind of you felt it was even when Roma were playing well, you felt it was kind of inevitable that Madrid would come up on top, um, and I think the tie is unfortunately over for Roma, but um, I, I don't think they did that badly, really.
1: I think Liam is more or less spot on there, Connell. I think you did a little disservice there, Roma, saying that uh, <laughs> they they didn't play too well. I mean. For the first half, I think uh, Roma were, and, and most people you could hear from what the comment, most commentaries said, that they were probably the better team. I mean, ultimately, they were undone by a sort of deflected Ronaldo shot that kind of really sort of uh, cut their legs uh, off just as they were sort of...
0: But then, to defend myself, cool. if you look at the... Sorry to interrupt you, by the way, and so, But to look at the second goal, it's shocking defending yeah, it from D. Still, eh? Just ran away from it. It was terrible. 30 yards I down.
1: think the difference was, uh, Connell, which is where you are correct, the quality in that final sort of, you know, on the edge of the 18 and just beyond was the difference. Whereas when Real Madrid got in and around the Roma box, you thought, hang on, this is going to end up uh, in the back of the net. Whereas Roma and they had their chances when they got in in and around the I mean um, Sergio Ramos had a great game um, they just lacked that cutting edge which is balmy when you see the way they dismantled Palermo at the weekend and I know all right Palermo are not quite Real Madrid but the Sala goal Jecos let's just put the miss to one side the two goals that he did score were, were pretty handy Pjanic as well who didn't have a great game against Real Madrid. Um, that's what that that was the difference really that final cutting edge just when it mattered which is obviously the all important bit of football but the rest of it defensively other than the the, the second goal Roma did okay uh, in midfield they battled well and they didn't lose out to Madrid but you know yeah they just failed in front of goal when it really mattered if they'd have nicked one early, you know in the first half after all their, their pressure, then who knows, it, we might be talking about something else. For so you, tie over completely? Yeah, 100%. They're not going to go and win 3-0 in Spain when they lost 2-0 at oh, No chance. They need Francesco Totti, Connell. That's who they need. They're not just for five oh, minutes do. at the end, which was, uh, I'm sure we're going to come on to that, which is, I think, what may have kicked off all the drama that... I'm sure unless you've been living on the dark side of the moon, everyone will will be aware of what's happened with Totti and and Roma and Spalletti. But I think to give him five minutes at the Olympico against Real Madrid, when the tie has already gone, is an insult, to say the least.
0: He demands respect, and you've got to think he deserves it after all he's given to the club. Is
1: I would have thought so, mate. That's not the way you treat somebody who has given... It. I mean, don't bring him on at all if you're going to do that. Uh, don't, you know, that's what you... Five minutes at the end of a game, at the, when the result is dead and buried, is what you give maybe a 17-year-old that you want to give a debut to, just to get his first flavour of, uh, of of top-flight football. That's not what you give... A 39-year-old who has given, you know, over 20 years of his career and has, you know, has been there since the youth teams and has gone all the way through, and, and you know, one of Italy's finest players who I'm sure could have gone to bigger clubs but decided to stay with Roma. And you know, given his stature, there's one relatively little for the years of service that he gave that club, and then to be treated like this now is. Is quite embarrassing, I think.
0: And to think that had he even been brought on five minutes earlier, he also probably would have helped Roma as well, not to concede. You're, you're definitely on Totti's side for this one, then. Well, not Spalletti. Uh,
1: let me tell you what I think, Connell. What Roma have done, and maybe it's not Spalletti's fault because he's come in halfway through. But what Roma? I mean, Totti's thirty-nine. So what Roma should have said, uh, maybe they should have said it maybe two seasons ago, maybe uh, at least this season, is explained exactly how they felt he could now be part of the team, be part of the squad. At that age, it's pointless to, 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 to rely on him. They've got, Young, they've got Sala, they've got they had Dzeko, they've now brought in El Sharawi, they've got Perotti, they've got Yago Falke, they've got strikers all over the place. So Totti now, should have, it should have been explained to him, whether he liked it or not, which is a bit what Juventus did with Del Piero. They said, look, we'll give you one more year, But at the end of that, that's it, finished. You can do whatever you want, but we can't sign you on anymore. You know, this is going to be your final year. Now, as it appears, they haven't had that conversation with Totti. He's been part of the squad in the same way that he was 20 years ago when he came in and everyone thought he was the next big thing. And I guess he had expectations. He had expectations to play. He had expectations to be a regular member of the team. Maybe not start every game, but... To at least be uh, a valued member, but especially since Garcia has gone, he has become nothing he 's become a bit part, and I can understand how he is frustrated, and this is all stuff that they should have s- had out with him, even if Spalletti had this idea that this, that totti is now no longer part of the the long term pro- or even the short term project of Roma. They should have brought him in and said, right, we're going to discuss this. Because he's now gone to the press, he's gone to the Rai TV and aired his... Uh, displeasure at the way he's been treated. And this has now become a, you know, a saga. It's become, a, what do you call it, like a soap opera now. And this will run and run until it's tidied up. But it should have been tidied up behind closed doors weeks ago, months ago. I mean, they knew things couldn't have been right. You know, Because Totti said, since Spalletti had been there, all they do is say hello and they say goodbye at the end of training session. And that's it. There's no relationship so the the, the the you know the higher echelons of the club mustn't have known that there's a problem there that needed to be sorted before it all blew up but they've done nothing it's blown up and now it looks totally I- embarrassing and i think there's a bit of form here i think if some of you guys have a look back but if you remember giuseppe giannini who was the the previous kind of darling of Roma. He was treated pretty badly as well at the end of his career after he'd given them everything since, uh, since his youth days. So, I don't know, they, just, they haven't learnt the lesson from then and it's gone bad again now. He's 39, of course he's not going to be a regular member of the team, but all this should have been sorted out last summer and he'd know what he was doing, he'd know that he would just get minutes here and there and there'd be no problem. And now look what's happened.
2: Seems to be a regular theme at Roma, when it comes to treating the club legends like that, it's really just the way that the situations have been handled in the past. Uh, And in the case of Totti, it definitely should have been handled better. I'm personally on Spalletti's side on this, and I'm glad that he actually had the courage to say that, you know, he can't play on a regular basis and that sort of thing. Because uh, I noticed last season Totti was starting too many games under Garcia, and in the second half of the season... It really affected the Roma team, so uh, this is where Juve should be applauded for the way they handled the Del Piero situation, because they did it gracefully, and Del Piero, the way he bowed out, he did it in a graceful manner, whereas this Totti situation, although I reckon he's got to hang up the boots and all that, just between the board and uh, Spalletti, it could have been better with more diplomacy and more class, and also try to keep this sort of stuff out of the press. Uh, one way or another, regardless of how much time Totti plays, eventually uh, Totti has to realise that the party can go on without him. And that 5-0 win against Palermo just showed that there might be no Totti, but there was a party on show. Just some people got to take off the goggles, and I'm talking about the Rossi fans, and see that there are some new stars there. And you never know, there could be another Roma icon emerging, maybe not next season, but in the near future, there'll be one that's there because there's been Bruno Conti, Agostino di Ptolemy, Giuseppe Giannini, and even back in the 40s, Amadeo Amadei was considered to be a big star. So Roma will always have the stars that connect with the fans. So Totti will go, he'll be admired, but, you know, he can't always be on the field.
0: I've got a feeling who the next star's going to be. It's going to be Edin Dzeko. He's definitely adhered to the fans after that god-awful miss. Who must have seen that guy? My, I could have scored it. My girlfriend could have scored it. My nan could have scored it. It was that bad. I,
1: have to, I thought that was the worst miss, and I've seen some misses in my time, but that was the worst. It was horrible. It was unbelievable from a professional footballer, but... His saving grace was that he scored moments later. He went on and scored another one. He set up one of Sala's goals. Roma won five nil. So he he got away with murder. Oh,
0: you'd really forgive him for that?
1: Absolutely. Nobody cares because they won five nil. Ah, uh, <laughs>
0: I, I can't believe it. I... It can't really be down to confidence, though. Okay? Yep, he went on to score two goals, and he scored against Carpi. But you hear commentators say again and again, oh, he's so low on confidence, how did he miss that? It can't be. It's got to be something else. You cannot be that low that you just sideswipe a goal.
3: I think it's. I mean, it's, it probably is related to the confidence thing, but I, I think it's also the fact that he he just had a lot of time to. And I'm not excusing it by any way, shape, or form. But he did. He had a lot of time to think about what he was going to do, and he just seemed to kind of get his feet kind of confused or something like that. It was it was very odd to get because um, he should have gone with his right foot, and he had the whole goal to like. To uh, so basically put it in, but but the, if you look for his second goal, that's pure instinct. That goal, he's he's you know he he doesn't have any time to think about it, and that's you know I, I suspect he's one of those players. that's just very very odd. I remember at Manchester City, he was kinda of, He you know this isn't just a thing at Roma. He did it at Manchester City. You know I remember some shocking misses. I
2: think he's just a very odd player. Really,
0: so it pains me to say that Mohamed Salah more than made up for everything with his goal.
2: Yeah, that goal was genuine class, so-called banana goals. I remember Frank Lampard actually scored a goal like that for Chelsea against Barcelona about seven or eight years ago. So that sort of brought back memories. And uh, even Walter Casagrande, a Brazilian striker who played for us in the 80s, he scored a similar goal. So replicating those kind of goals, the just really mouth-watering. They really tend to fire logic because... The angles are so tight, and Salah, he really showed that he can really be a, a great player when he's in top form. It was just disappointing he couldn't do that against Real Madrid. I'd put that goal down as one of the best of the season. Can I
1: can I just poop on that parade just for two seconds? Did did we not think that his first touch was pretty awful as that? Ball oh, from, it was. Uh, yeah, and um, you know, I think it was just. He kind of swiped at it, it curled a bit and went in. No, are we not? We're not agreeing, or did we think it was an absolute classic peach of a
3: goal? I think, I don't think he like it was, he had that in his mind, like the whole kind of the touch. Yeah, he he didn't set himself up to do it, did he? but it was like, it's still, you have to applaud him for actually being able to do it because they were, he was off balance as well, and there was a Palermo defender basically in front of the goal line. So I think at least you have to give him some credit for it, even though it was mitigated by the mistake that led to it. You
0: know, it's just my job to hype up the goal as well, just after I've brutally assaulted Roma, but I have to keep the balance. Of course, with that win, Roma are firing back up the league. Fiorentina are still ahead of them, and they're keeping their, their place in third on 52 points. They did that with a 3-2 win over Atalanta goals from Matias Fernandez, Christian Teo, and Nikola Kalinic in that game, but moving on guys, I don't specifically want to focus on the Viola as we have done for recent weeks. I'd actually like to focus on Atalanta. I know I've shunned them for quite a lot of the season, but now seems a time to talk about them. They haven't
2: won the whole year so far. What is going on? They've seemed to lost a fair bit of form since... Uh the wingman, Maxim Morales, was sunk to uh, Leon in the January transfer window. Eddie Rea was using the 4-3-3 formation with Alejandro Gomez, uh, either Mauricio Pinilla or Herman Dennis as the centre forward, and then Morales on the right wing, and they were working a trait. But although one player doesn't make a team, one player can sometimes make a difference, and for some reason... Morales's departure has caused Atalanta to just capitulate
0: And you'd also have to think Herman Dennis too because Mauricio Pineda is not really the most prolific of scorers, not really the one that you want to be leading your front line
2: Nah, his form's generally pretty patchy anyway as well so yeah, I wouldn't think that Pineda is going to be scoring goals at a consistent rate especially now that he's over 30 years old not many players who are at that veteran stage, can keep up the form and Panea has never necessarily been a star-quality striker or world-class.
0: Well, is this form in particular just typical of Atalanta? Would we have expected more from them in the first place or is this just you know the mentality that these smaller sides seem to be having? Because mentioned last
2: week, nobody in the bottom of the table looks like they want to win any games. Atalanta look like a team that are usually just happy to be mid-table if they come close to the... Europa League spots, that's usually an achievement in itself for them, but I usually would have thought that Atalanta could do better than just be in the relegation battle, but it happened last season with Stefano Colantorno. They dropped off, and then they had to bring Eddie Rea in, and it looks like even under Rea, they've really dropped off in the second half of the season, and they haven't won in 11 games. And their last win was back in early December last year. So that's a very negative look for the Lombard side.
0: And also, they've sold players to Napoli. They've obviously got rid of Armand I Dennis, Morales as well. We always mention some sides need a change of mentality.
2: Yeah, they look like a selling club. Maybe not in the same sense as an Udinese or Palermo. But Atalanta look like one of those clubs that develops a few players and... They've got a good reputation for developing youngsters, so they usually just tend to sell them off when they have the chance, just to balance the books.
3: I certainly think with um, Alberto Grassi, I thought I thought they could have at least tried to keep him until the end of the season because he's not he's not exactly playing at Napoli, or at least they could have inserted a clause in the deal where whereby he would have stayed on loan and for the rest of the season. I just thought that was a bit, you know, your young kind of talent, and just to let him go as soon as after he's had like. Six months of form, It's I don't know, it just it seems a bit cheap for really you to me.
0: And the six points separating them and Frosinone, who are in 18th place, is the possibility Atalanta might go down? Is looking at their form as of recent, and looking at how small a gap there is.
2: I wouldn't rule Atalanta out, to be honest. There are quite a few teams outside of the relegation who have been in horrible form, but... 11 games without a win is a very bad statistic. I also can't see how they're going to really turn things around too. Because in my view, the best players there are Martin Roon, the Dutch midfielder they bought during the summer, Marcos Portiel, the goalkeeper, and Alejandro Gomez. But now Gomez has a lot more responsibility in the forward line. Whereas uh, the rivals, either they are showing signs of improvement, they've got enough quality to turn things around, and I reckon Atalanta's missing that quality.
0: We've actually got a question, in fact, on our Twitter from Paul. He says to us, hi guys, I love your show. He says, do you see any of the bottom three teams avoiding relegation this season? If so, who will be relegated? And based on what you just said, Vito, you're certainly not excluding Atalanta from that, but do you see Frosinone, Carpi, perhaps not, Hellas Verona, escaping the bottom three and change them with another side?
2: It's going to be very hard for Prozenone and Carpi to survive because I generally think they lack the quality to survive. They haven't got any really outstanding or emerging players that will really make the difference. Uh, Prozenone might find it tough. Their main weakness, I reckon, is their backline. That's their main concern. Carpi, I find uh, Fabrizio Castori to be too cautious. And they've got some decent attacking players like uh, Antonio Di Gaudio and Kevin Lasagna. What a name. But other than that, it's really really a very workman-like unit Carpi has got. Verona in particular, though. Points-wise, it looks like it's too little too late. But for some reason, I give him the tiniest glimpse of hope because I think Del Neri's more experienced at this level than Castori and Roberto Stellone. And also with the attacking players they have, with Pazzini and Tony up front, Cholek is doing good on the wing there, Sili uh, Guardi as well, and Placionita and Maroni in the middle. Uh, they could pull off a minor a miracle, but it's going to be very tough for them because... The draw doesn't look really favourable for them. They've got a few hard teams coming up. If I really had to pick one of those three to get out, I'd only say Frozinone.
1: I think Frosinone have got a, a better chance than probably Vito uh, gives them credit for, but I think there's a reason for that, is because next week Frosinone plays Sampdoria, who are also flirting very dangerous, dangerously with a, a, a shock. Uh, drop down to Serie B. There's only a couple of points between Frosinone in 18th and Sampdoria uh, in 17th. So should Frosinone get a result against and Montella's men, then that leapfrogs them above them uh, and gets them out of uh, out of the bottom three and drops Sampdoria into that kind of relegation danger zone. So I think next week's game is critical. If Sampdoria win that then I'd say the bottom three are dead and buried. Um, but if Frosinone get a result, then I think it's all to play for, really.
2: I'll just also add on frosinone uh, The positives with them is that usually Roberto Stallone has usually used that Arrigo Saki-style compact four-four-two, but he's moved away from that a bit and gone more for four-three-three, And he's got Nicola Leali in goal, uh, San Marco in midfield, and uh, Federico Dionisi and Daniel Ciofani, those front two, they've been crucial in crossing and getting into Serie A, so the dangerous place.
0: Obviously, Vito, you've got this solution to perhaps save your side from relegation, with it certainly looming over them.
2: Well, my belief is that Massimo Ferrero has to leave Sampdoria. Regardless if he's forced to leave, he resigns out of his own will, or he sells the club. I think he's got to cut his losses, do the club a favour and just uh, part ways because I've written an opinion piece for the Fort Italian Football website and I pretty much explain uh, what he's done wrong in terms of his business dealings and also how he's handled the previous transfer windows for Sampdoria. And he's really just set the club back enormously.
0: So as it goes without saying, go check out that feature on Football.com and other features as well. And Vito, the other side we also mentioned were Verona. You did say that you'd perhaps throw them a bone in getting out. And their 3-1 victory in the Derby della Scala certainly proves is a sign of hope for them, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel.
2: It's a tiny glimmer of hope for them, and also the performance against Intel, Fortnite ago, sort of gives glimmers of hope, and it's really just the, yeah, the Del Neri style. I think his way of playing was more organised, or there's a much more clearer game plan than what they had under Andrea Mandolini. So if... uh, Pazzini can maintain his form because he scored about four goals in the last seven games or so, and if Tony stays fit, I reckon uh, there is that tiny glimmer, but everyone's got to be playing well. You know, it's the old cliche, they've got to treat every game as a final, because one minus one, slip-up or just that little bit of uh, lack of self-belief, that can really destroy their chances.
0: Enzo, you were saying, before we even started the podcast, that you think that... It's just perhaps because it was a derby that Verona proved themselves so well.
1: Yeah, I think those kind of games are different, and and form, and uh, you know, squad depth, and what players you've got, kind of goes out the window a little bit, uh, and and any result. It is possible in, in a game like that. I mean, especially given Verona's position. If they weren't fired up to uh, to get a result in, in this match, then they might as well just pack up and go to Serie B straight away. So I think it masks their their problems. Um, I don't think Pazzini and Luca toni are the most dynamic of strikers, and they're pretty one-dimensional. So if, if plan A doesn't work, there's not much else really you can do with those two. Uh, to try and get your goals, I mean there's goals in there because they've done it in the past but but unless the system of play works straight out of the box then there's not a lot else Del Neri can really do with those players so I think it's just a minor revival which I think will just not really make a hell of a huge difference I think they've given themselves too much to do anyway uh, even if they were going to try and get out of this now they're pretty they're pretty f- well rooted to the bottom uh, it, it would be a, a miracle I, I mean i think i read a stat that this time last season the three that were bottom were the three that eventually went anyway so that doesn't give them much uh, much uh, hope anyway so i just feel that they had a great game against Kiev because it was the derby but other than that It'll be business as usual, and no doubt they'll lose again next week.
0: So well, it's slightly unfair on Tony, is it not, to say that he's as one-dimensional as Pazzini.
1: <laughs> so you think Tony's much better than Pazzini? I think, I you're, think, you're I think he's right. much better. However, I, I think, would you want me to say? He's got good feet for a big man, that old cliche that gets right.
0: Yeah, <laughs> exactly
1: that. Um, okay, well, he's got good feet for a big man. I still don't like him anymore. Uh, I think he offered something maybe sort of 5-6 years ago but now he really is that immovable object up front um, And I mean, it, it, did you see the, his penalty? Terrible. He was lucky to get a second bite at it and he uh, knocked in the rebound um, and if it weren't that
0: In that, fairness, for all he's scored in the past few seasons, if you watch each one of his penalties, they've somehow gone in yet they've <laughs> been the worst. <laughs> they just dribble along the ground <laughs>
1: Well, that probably uh, sums up his. Uh, I mean, look, all credit to the chap. He's he's knocking on a bit, but he's still scoring the odd goal here and there. He's still playing in Serie A, so you can't you can't fault the chap for that. But I just feel that clubs like Verona, a bit. I mean, I know I've said this before, but you look, and I think we, me and Vito were speaking about this. When you've got clubs like uh, Sassuolo and Empoli, even Bologna now under Donadoni, there's a there's a specific project there. They don't harp back to. Old players, experienced heads, to get them out of problems. They, they're a bit more progressive. They look for young stars that they can bring through to get them. You know, players with hunger, with desire, uh, and a fresh outlook on on the game, and that's how I think those teams are doing well. Whereas the ones that are, you know, relying on players that have been in Serie A with the, you know, in the belief that oh, because they've been there and done it, that they'll carry on doing it. Um, I think is a little bit old hat now, and um, these teams need to learn that you can do well with kids, uh, as somebody once said. So, um, you know, I have no sympathy for clubs that don't want to take a chance and, and feel that by trying to play it safe, everything will be okay. Uh, you know, this is sport. There's the whole point of sports, the whole spectacle of sport is that you can take risks and fans expect the unexpected. That's why they pay some big money to, to watch these games, not to see the same old dross that they've seen for the last 10, 15 years. So that's why, you know, for those sort of teams, I have no sympathy. And I hope for us, to get out um, because I think they've, they've given it a go considering where they've come from and, and their resources, they've, they've really tried. Um, and, and I like to see clubs like that um, you know, be rewarded for their
0: efforts. Winning with kids. Just look at Cagliari last year. Youngest squad, were they not?
1: It doesn't always work. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: they are, they are coming up. Exactly. They're bouncing straight back, Connell, and that's, they're,
1: they're, they're being rewarded eventually. eventually.
0: Yeah, they'll just bounce straight back down. <laughs> Yo-yo club.
2: No, I reckon Cagliari, if they get back into Serie A, which they should, I reckon they'll stay up. I just think the... Zeman project didn't work out too well and plus the new president was just trying to find his feet but under Massimo Rastelli they've sort of got that blend between youth and experience and I reckon if Cayori come back into Serie A they should be good enough to survive a relegation plus I like uh, the way Rastelli sets up the team he did well at Avellino and uh, I think Cayori are on the right track.
0: Oh, I was just saying, an old Serie A team that we all love, Catania, they're in Liga Pro right now.
2: They got renegated
0: last season from Serie B.
2: But Antonio Pulvarenti made a huge mess, especially with that match fixing that went on there. And plus he's had his mm-hmm. own business issues too, so that really shouldn't be much of a surprise. But it goes to show, if you don't put your books in order or run the club properly, you can really fall from grace very easily. It doesn't matter if you're in Italy or in any other football
0: nation. Although unfortunately Italy more scandals seem to be coming out by the day but that's, uh, <laughs> that's a matter for another time and not now because right now we should be getting on to the match roundups We're heading towards the end of yet another podcast and so obviously we've been discussing Flosinone and how you'd like them to stay up and they certainly helped their efforts in doing so Enzo when they drew nil-nil against Lazio on Saturday. Caspi meanwhile drew nil-nil with Torino, that's Still turmoil going on at Torino. Meanwhile, Genoa managed to keep the distance on Udinese by beating them 2-1. And Empoli's rotten form continues as they lost 3-2 to Sassuolo, who finally, finally got a win at home. To wrap it up on your favourite team, Vito, it's Sampdoria. They lost 3-1 to Inter at the San Siro. Vincenzo Montella says that he thinks his team were pretty much the better side in that one.
2: In terms of ball possession, uh, Sump were the better team. It was a typical inter-win, just pretty much smash and grab, and they had the place to make the most of their chances. One of the main concerns, and it's been a problem all season, Sump thought he's just very poor defensively. It would have also helped if Sump made the most of their chances because... Uh, Quagliarella scored the consolation goal, but he could have had a goal or two himself. Even Andrea Ronocchio could have scored a goal or two from set pieces. And Sampdoria were denied a clear penalty in the first half when D'Ambrosio handballed in the penalty box. So there was bad luck, but from now on, Sampdoria just got to take their chances and not get into a victim mentality. They just got to have more self-belief in what they do and more determination. You know, some
0: would say that's the first time in five years that Andrea Ranocchi has actually helped Inter at the San Siro, as he gave away an awful goal.
2: Yeah, it was a very bad error by Ranocchi. He should have got ahead of Bicardi or cleared the ball away, but the real mistake was Lewis Muriel doing a fancy back heel and turning the ball over. He did atone for it by assisting Cuellarella's goal, but to try that back heel in the position he was, uh, that was the real cause of the goal. Ranocchi didn't help his own rock reputation himself but a moment like that that's where you've got to make a reference to the Australian classic movie Muriel's Wedding and say you're terrible Muriel (laughs) that moment just summed it up it does and he's actually received some praise but you're not happy with him whatsoever I find him very inconsistent he does show glimpses of brilliance he can be fast and powerful but he's only scored four goals this season no more than that I don't think Really, he he lacks the work ethic that someone like Eda had, and he lacks the technique and flamboyance that someone like Antonio Cassano has. Like most of the strikers Sampdori have had in the last, you know, not just the last few seasons, but probably the last 20 to 30 years, he's not prolific. He's really got to improve his work ethic, and he's also got to improve his quantity of shots plus the quality of shots.
0: All right. And just to give a heads up, by the time this podcast is out, Juventus should be playing or might have already played Bayern Munich because they play on Tuesday evening. And then, of course, you still have the reverse fixtures of Napoli against Villarreal. Fiorentina away to Tottenham Hotspur, Tottenham Hotspur with a away goal advantage after drawing one or at the Stadio of Frankie. And you've also got Lazio playing against Galatasaray. That was also one all there. But the Lazio themselves have the advantage. Of course, if you do want to get in contact with any of us, reach us on Twitter. Our Twitter handles at Cilia FFC. You can reach me on my personal one. I'm at
2: Connell V. I'm at Stephen Fifty Four. I'm at Vito C Doria.
1: I can't see you'd want to contact me, but just in case somebody's uh, had a had a had a bump on the head. Uh, Connell, I think I'm at Enzo underscore Miseraka.
0: I saw after last time, everyone contacted you straight away. Oh, no. Just being modded.
1: must have been a blip on the, on the computer, <laughs> mate. I won't would, worry too much about that.
0: Guys, if you're not going to go following Enzo, follow our Instagram instead. <laughs> Forza Italian Football. It's the same as our Facebook And, yes, you're all still sending us emails. We love emails. We load up our computer from the 90s to read them. It's italianfancast at gmail.com. So, with nothing left to add, it's thank you for myself, Liam, Enzo, and Vito. Ciao for now.
4: Questa generazione non vi crede perché un futuro vero non si vede Lo Stato non ci sente, specialmente a noi del Sud Un lavoro manca sempre, per fortuna abbiamo il Groove E che Ogni giorno forse bordello Sento a Wake up Wake up
0: Non wake up, why you wake
4: up, why you Un giorno saremo felici, quel giorno io spero che non si lontano Non dimentico mai le radici Perché in questa terra c'è <susurra> scritto chi siamo e che futuro avremo noi Cresciuti senza direzione Tutti dietro le tastiere E che a fare rivoluzioni Wake up why you Shotate magallari e dosha Wake up
2: how about now? Not
0: so much. <laughs> but the first time. <laughs>
1: oh
4: what happened the
2: first time? wake
4: up. Why you? wake up. Why you? Wake up.